afternoon. It's afternoon, right? Close enough. <laughs> okay, this, oh, well, and then I'm going to say this morning. Uh, we're reading from Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There are many words we can use to describe what God is like. God is love. Well, I know what love is. I can describe love. God is might. I can describe might and strength. But the word used here in Isaiah is a word we don't use well in America. And that's this word holy. We're told in the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah has this vision. Uzziah reigned for 50 years in Israel. Under his reign, the nation loved the Lord. In the last year of Uzziah's reign, Uzziah, the king, turns from God. And he leads the people of Israel back into sin. After his death, the nation will never, ever, until its destruction, it will never turn back to the God of heaven. When the king dies, Isaiah has this vision. I don't know if it's a vision or if he's actually in heaven seeing this, but it says he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple. And there's these seraphim, these angelic beings, each with six wings. You understand, Isaiah's trying to tell us what he saw. He's like, well, it's kind of like this, and there's like this... I bet you when we get to heaven, same we'll go, oh, that's what he's talking about. It'll make sense when we see it, but now it just sounds crazy. He says, there's these angelic beings, and they're, they're flying above the throne, and they're singing a song. And here's the song. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. This is not the first, uh, later, on in, later on in history, like 2,000 years later, Another man will have a vision. Another man will be standing in the heavens and see a similar vision. You see the Apostle John. And he's an old man. Exiled on the island of Patmos, he will write the revelation of John. And he sees the future. If you ever see a painting of John, they often paint John with a big old bushy white beard and long white hair because John's the only apostle who gets old. Everyone else dies young. John's the last guy left. And John sees this in Revelation 4.8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, full of eyes around and within. 
and day and night they do not cease to say. So this song they're singing is they're singing it every, they're singing it all day, they're singing this song all night long. Remember this when you were young and you'd find a song you loved and you'd like have a, a CD or a tape and you rewind that one song over again, it was your jam and you overplayed it for a while? This, they're, they're playing this song, it is number one for a thousand years straight. And here's the song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is their song. Holy, holy, holy. But if you ask any one of us here, what does it mean that God is holy? We'd probably go, we'd probably stutter and stammer and give a really bad answer because we don't know what the word means because we use the word so badly. Um... I use the word almost every day in my life, but I use it badly every single day. My, my good friend Dave uh, in the back, he says, I'm the best Christian cursor he knows. <laughs> it does not mean I curse and I'm a Christian. It means that instead of swearing, I say really dumb, th I make up dumb words. Um, I, I'll stub my toe, I'll see a car accident, and I say random nonsense. If you're hanging out with me, you'll see, I'm just, I'm like, I'm not going to curse, I'll just, like, I'll see a car accident, I'll be like, holy Mazda. I, go, I, just, I just say nonsense. But I love using the holy blank as my Christian curse word. I, I, I throw in the most random words in the world to follow the word holy. But the thing is, I've used this word so wrong for so long you lose the meaning. When you say something wrong for a long time, you lose what the word really meant. And a lot of us have no idea what this thing means. What does it mean that God is holy? Because everyone calls God holy in the Bible. Prophets, apostles, kings call God holy. The angels call God holy. You know who else calls God holy? The drunks call God holy. The sinners, the tax collectors, they also call him holy. What does it mean? Today when you leave, I hope you'll know what this word means. That when we say God is holy, it matters. It matters. So here we go. We'll begin our journey in Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Psalm 77, 13 says this. O God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. Oh God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. This is poetry. Psalm 77 is a psalm, and the psalms are poetry. And in Jewish poetry, in American poetry, we, we rhyme words, don't we? In American poetry, we rhyme, right? Roses are red, violets are blue. I've come to your house, how do you do? Like it's, 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 That's how we, we rhyme we rhyme the words. Blue and do rhyme. What a great poem, Ernesto. The Hebrews did not rhyme words. The Hebrews rhymed ideas. Right? They might, so you might say, I love my dog. My dog's the bomb. You, 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 it's the same idea, just repeated. You rhyme the idea. That's true, by the way. I do love my dog. Um, so here's the idea. Our, oh God, your way is holy. So how do they rhyme holy? Oh God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. So apparently, whatever holy means, it has to do with greatness. So let's keep on going. We'll jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
1 Samuel 2, verse 2, says this. This is Hannah's song. Hannah is a, is a woman who is barren. And she begs God for a child. And God hears her cry. And in her song of thankfulness, she says, There is no one holy like Yahweh. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. So listen. The first flavor, you understand, when, when the angels say God is holy, what does it mean? God being holy means that God is uniquely great. When people say God is holy, they're saying God is high and lifted up. God is greater than all that I have and all that I know and all that I've ever seen. He is so great. It's hard for me to have words to talk about him because any metaphor I use falls apart. Any language, if I use the word love about God, the Greeks were, much, were smarter than us about this. Like, um, for example, the word love. We say, I love Pizza Hut and I love my wife. That's, that's two different ideas, isn't it? What should be anyway. Uh, like, that word love we use for, like, I love Fridays. I, we use love for, well, well, the Greeks had more than one word for love. They had a word for romantic love, um, eros. They had a word for brotherly love, love among friends, phileo. And they had a word for like a supreme love, a, a divine love, and that was agape. The divine, the holy is so high, it deserves its own words, talking about affection and commitment and loyalty. God is uniquely great among all things. And here's the problem with that for us. Well, Isaiah says God is great. So Isaiah sees the Lord in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, God sees the Lord. He sees the greatness of God. And what does he do? Now, Isaiah knows God. Isaiah is he's a prophet of God. He served God his whole life. God tells him to do stuff. Isaiah loves the Lord. And when he sees him in his glory, what does he say? He says, verse 5, Woe is me, for I am ruined. This is the common reaction when people see God. When I see a friend I haven't seen in a long time, when I see a good buddy of mine, I do the classic guy move. I give the handshake, then the hug, right? That's the, you're my friend, I care about you, what up, homie? That's familiarity, that's closeness, that's love, right? When Isaiah sees, when Isaiah sees the Lord, it is not familiar, it is not warm. Isaiah sees God's greatness, and he falls on his face. Happens to Jeremiah, happens to Peter, happens to Paul. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. When they see God's greatness, they, 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 they cower from it. Whenever, so think about angels, for example. In our modern world, angels, I don't know if you had these, but my grandma had these um, precious moments ceramic dolls. We had like a whole like, glass cabinet of them. You could collect them. And they're like fat babies. They're, they're, they had wings. They were cute. They were in clouds. You'd paint them. Whoa. And we thought angels are so cute and they're so nice. In the Bible, though, whenever an angel shows up, every single time, the first thing it says is, do not be afraid. 
Apparently, whatever that thing is, when an angel shows up, think about the seraphim. Six wings, eyeballs everywhere. If you saw that thing, you would be afraid. When Joshua sees one, Joshua, Joshua pulls his sword out and says, are you for us or against us? He said, I don't know what you are, but one of us is going to die. Like he, he doesn't know what it is, but like, I'm scared and i got to fight to the death. That's an angel. God is greater than those things. When people see the God of heaven, they, they fall down. I am unworthy. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. When he sees God's greatness, he is aware of his lack of greatness. He is high and I am low. He is strong and I am weak. He falls down. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. There's wonder. There's awe. And for us as Americans, it's hard because we don't have wonder or awe for nothing. We are people who are cynical, jaded, sarcastic. Nothing moves us like this. Nothing stops us to go, that thing I'm seeing, I am in awe of it. There's a word we use, the word awesome. It was ruined by the Ninja Turtles. It really was. Right? Like awesome has come to mean like radical or tubular. But the word awesome really meant, it meant that which induces awe. I see this and it shuts me up. I see this and I stand there going, what am I beholding? God is great. And God is so great. Here's the, here's the rub. God is a mountain that we can never get to the top of. That's how great he is. We can never fully comprehend. We can never fully understand. But even though I can't get to the top of the mountain, guess what? We still got to climb it. We still have to seek to know the Lord, even though I will never master him because he is infinite and I am finite. He is unlimited and I am limited. We still climb the mountain. When I was a young man, I went and worked out in South Dakota on a ranch. And one night, the ranch hands, some girls came over, and we we're all talking, hanging out, and being cool, which is what young guys do in front of girls. And uh, the guys wanted to climb Harney Peak, which is the largest mountain east of the Rockies. Now, I'm like, let's watch a movie, because I'm, I'm not a hiking kind of guy. I'm not built for... There's, I watched this movie once called Kung Fu Panda, and in that movie, the panda guy says, my old enemy, and there's stairs. I'm like, feel you. That's, like, I don't like stairs. I don't like going up to things. And a mountain is like a lot of stairs forever. But the guys all say, let's go to Harney Peak. I, I can't not go. I want to be cool. So we go to Harney Peak. And we hike for like half an hour, and I'm already sweating. And it's cold out, but it's, it's like chilly, but it's not like... It's chilly, walk for half an hour, four or five minutes. I'm already sweating, I'm already tired. And I'm like, we almost there? And they're like, we're not to the, we're not to the hike, we're not to the trail yet. We're hiking to the hike. And I'm like, oh my gosh. We get to the, end, the, the bottom of the mountain and we start climbing Harney Peak. And when you go up a mountain, the, the climate changes. So I have like ice in my stash, my hair is sweaty. I'm sweaty, but I'm cold. And as you go up this mountain, 
Sometimes you're next to the mountain on one side, and the other side is just death and night. And I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I have a little walking stick, and I'm just... And every time I'd see up the path, I'd see a turn, I'm like, maybe that's the last turn. And I'd get to it, and I'd turn. It wasn't the last turn. But I always told myself, maybe that turns. But once in a while, as you climb the mountain, you come around a bend, and the moon would be just right. And you could see for miles. And it was beautiful. As you seek to stare at God's greatness, you will never fully understand. But on the journey of trying to look at God and meditate on God's greatness, once in a while you will see a hint of his glory. And you will know wonder. And you will know awe. But you have to make room in your life to look at him. We have to stop running for a second and we have to read his word, see what it says, and we got to stop and sit in that truth and let the truth of God's character move from our mind into our heart. Because a lot of us don't believe that God is great. People tell us he is, but listen, someone telling you he's great does you no good if you don't believe it. There's a book written in the 80s called Your God is Too Small. For many of us, that's what we are. Our God is too small. We look at God, look at our problems, and our problems feel bigger than the God we claim to love. But if I understood who he was, holy cow, oh, I did it just then. See, we do use the word wrong. If we truly understood how great God was, that God is holy, his greatness would overshadow our troubles what does Paul say? He said, I think that our temporary light afflictions are nothing compared to the everlasting glory of our Lord. God's greatness overshadows this. Even in the Lord's Prayer, when Christ teaches us how to pray, Christ says, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, so our Father, He loves us, He cares about us, I can talk to Him, He's our Father, our Father who art in heaven. He's high and lifted up, holy is your name, hallowed be thy name. The prayer begins, who is God? A lot of us in our prayers, we start with what I need. But listen, you can ask God for what you need, but do you know who He is? And a lot of people say things like, well, the God I believe in is dot, dot, dot. Your opinion about God is not what matters. What matters is who God's revealed himself to be. I need to learn who he says he is, not what I want him to be. Who are you, Lord? So I read about him, and I meditate on it, and I let it move from the head to the heart so I can actually believe it. We must stare at the Lord. We must look upon the Lord and be still and know that he is God. And in order to stare at the Lord well, we might have to turn off some distractions. Many of us have little silence in our life. Many of us, America is built to distract you. When is our TV not on? When is the radio not on? We are constantly being pulled in 100 directions. When do we turn it all off and sit in the silence and allow God to reveal himself to us? 
I must stare at the Lord and I must turn off some of the distractions because I want to begin to comprehend how great our God is. God, you're holy. I want to see it. God, you're holy. I want to see the wonder of it. And if you ever catch a glimpse of his greatness, his holiness, you will you'll do, you will worship. How many of you here love to sing songs in your car? Hands. My people. Listen, sometimes in the summer, I have the windows down, and I'll still sing loud. I don't give a rip. Sometimes it's cool to drive and sing and just, yeah. And there's all kinds of songs, right? Songs about, songs about like broken hearts, songs about, you know, someone we love, songs about our family or our country, all kinds of songs. Songs about being mad at somebody, pop his tires, you know, all kinds of songs. That's called country music. But uh, <laughs> um, all kinds of songs. And the songs, we sing them because we feel it, right? We feel the song. When we see the greatness of God and feel that wonder and awe, no one's got to make me sing songs to God. It's just going to come out of me. I see the greatness. And I, I sing songs about how much I love my wife. I sing songs about how much I love my children. Are my songs sung to God, sung as passionate or more passionate than the songs I sing about everybody else? Is God greater than all this or not? God is uniquely great. He is holy. There's another, there's another flavor to God, though. This, the word holy does mean uniquely great. But it also means God is good. God being holy means that God is good. In Leviticus, I go there now, in Leviticus, the whole book is about the nation of Israel trying to be clean so they can approach the Lord. That's the whole book. Really boring. A bunch of rules on how to make yourself clean before God. And God says in the middle of the book, he goes, listen, the reason there's all these rules, here's why. 1144, God says, for I am Yahweh your God. Therefore, set yourselves apart as holy and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that move on the earth. Verse 45, for I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. God, holiness means that God's like, you know what, I am unstained by evil. You must be like me. I am good. You're called to be good like I am. This call to Israel is not just for the Jews. It is for us too. Later on, Peter will grab this language and in 1 Peter 1.16 he will say, it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter says, for us as believers in Christ, we our God whom we love is holy, and we got to be like our Father. We must be holy too. He is good. We must be good. Now listen. Every one of us. Our motivations are broken. When I do good things, I'm a mix of good and bad motivations. There's a song I heard once I really liked. 
the song says, I help old ladies across the street and I hope they give me money. I make ugly girls laugh so the pretty ones think I'm funny. I do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And here's the thing. I got the brutal song. I didn't write it. The guy wrote it. The song's about the impurity of our own hearts. Even when I do good, I might do the good thing for a bad reason. I give a homeless guy a sandwich. Anybody see? Look at me. There's a story in um, Luke 15 that Christ tells, where Christ tells the story of these two kids. There's a, there's a dad with two kids, and the, the youngest kid takes the dad's money, goes off to a foreign land, blows all his father's money, and wastes it in riotous living. After he's out of money, has nowhere to go, that broken kid's like, I gotta go back home. I'm homeless, I'm broke, I'm a mess. The, home, the kid goes back home, comes to his dad, and goes, Dad, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. May I be a servant on the family farm? The dad says, you, he puts the royal robe upon him. He gives him shoes for his feet, puts the ring back on his finger. They probably pawn the first time. He's like, you are my son. They have a party and celebrate. He says, you, my son, were lost and now you're found. You were dead and now I found you alive. And he celebrates his kid coming home. Free one for you. It's never too late to come home. Well, the party's happening, and the older brother's out in the field. And he sees the party happening. And he asks one of the servants, why is there a party at the house? If I pulled up, so if I left church today, I'd pull up my house, and there's cars and music in my house, I'd be like, party, baby! I'd run in and be like, what's going on? What are you celebrating? I'd be pumped. Like, let's do this thing. I'm ready to celebrate. One time, my wife went out of town, and she came back into town. And I didn't, I didn't want to bother her, you know, because she's, she's doing something. But someone needed to get married while she was gone, and they had no place to do it, so we did it at my house. So she pulls in. There's cars everywhere. She walks in. I'm doing a wedding in a living room. I'm like, hey, babe. <laughs> We're celebrating, darling. There's food in the back. Um, now, Listen. This older brother, though, sees the party. He's like, what's going on up there? The servant goes, your brother's back, and we're having a celebration. And the little brother stays there. He doesn't come in. The dad comes out. Son, come in, celebrate. And that older brother goes, this son of yours who wasted our money, you give this party for him? I have worked all these years. Never threw me a party. Me and my friends ever gotten none from you? And you see in that moment, this kid had stayed there at his dad's house, working in the fields. From the outside, you'd probably say, what a good kid that is. But in his heart, he wanted the same thing the little brother wanted. He wanted dad's money. That guy's in the fields every day working like, when is my dad going to die if I can get this farm for myself? He's bitter. He's not working because he loves his father. Now, we're going to honor God. He's working to get something. His motivation is broken. He looks great on the outside, but he's doing things for the wrong reasons. And a lot of Christians, a lot of Christ followers, a lot of church folk, we do a lot of good things, and we think God owes us for our good deeds. Our, way, our motivation is all messed up. A lot of times, 
I have to ask the Lord when I do something, am I doing this because I love you or because I want to get something from you? Is this my insecurity? Is this my woundedness? Is this wisdom or stupidity? We're flesh and spirit, old man and new man. Well, God is not like us, thanks be to the Lord. God, his heart is not bound. There's not division of will or heart. He is singular of focus and will. He's holy. When he does it, he does it. And there's goodness there. And there is not a hint of jealousy. The gods of the pagans, the Greeks, the Romans, the Norse, the Vikings had Thor, right? All Thor is, is a really big Viking. Like, man, would we cool God? Look like me and dress like me, but could drink more beer than me. That's a God. And they create Thor. The gods of the Romans and the Greeks and the Norse were just, they're just us with superpowers. But God is not like this. God is different than we are. And because God is so good, we're called to be good. Listen. It's very easy to want to fit into the world we live in, to want to be invisible, to be accepted by this world we're a part of, but we're called by God to be different than this world, to be holy as he is holy, to be good like he is good. The word means set apart. Before, there comes a moment in Christian history where Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome and Constantine makes Christianity the official religion of the empire, basically. Before that, though, before the Romans embraced it, everyone hated the Christians, and they were getting smoked by everybody. Every apostle got killed, except for John. But the church grew. They say that before Constantine became emperor, 10% of Rome confessed the name of Jesus. Six million people were Christians. How did that happen? How did it go from 120 people to six million? You can read some of the emperor's writings throughout history. The Christians were peculiar people. In the ancient world, in Greece and Rome, if you had a baby, let's say you had a little girl, you didn't want it. You take the girl to, a, to the garbage, to the, to the dump, and you'd leave the kid there, and the kid would die of exposure. That was a common practice, happened all the time in Rome. The Christians believed that every single human was made in the image of God and worthy of dignity, respect, and a chance at life. You know what the Christians did? They went to the dump and they saved those babies and started the world's first orphanages. Straight up. A peculiar people. In that world, if you were poor, there was no welfare. You were a dead person. You begged and hoped someone gave you something. The Christians began feeding the widows and the orphans of their neighborhoods. Just took care of the people. People sold their lands and their fields to make sure the widows and the orphans of their regions were cared for. In the ancient world, if you were poor and you died, your body was left on the street and the, thinking, the pigs and the dogs and the carrion fowl would eat that body. The Christians said, if anyone dies, bring relatives to us and we'll make sure they get buried. And the Christians gave up their land to be these, like underneath in Europe, you ever see here like in France, there's like the, the catacombs underneath? The Christians told the whole world, 
will bury anyone. You've got to be a Christian. You've got to go to our church. If your family loved ones dies, we'll bury them for you. And listen to this. Usually the rich were buried in like really big, cool tombs, and the poor were like usually not buried at all. In the catacombs, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, male, man, female, male, female, we're all buried side by side because in the Lord's eyes, there's equality, right? The Christians did this. They love people so much, people goes, there's something amazing about these people, and I want to know what it is. If they were to look like everybody else, no one would know they serve a holy God. During a great outbreak in Rome of Ebola, the Christians started the very first hospital in the world, treating the dying. And most of the Christians who treated the dying died themselves. They caught the plague and it killed them. Listen to this, though. As the Christians are just caring for and loving the suffering, some of the people didn't die. Some people survived the plague. The ones who survived had been loved so well, they turned to Jesus, they got better so they were immune to the disease, and they stayed there to keep the hospital going. The first hundred hospitals in the world were all Christian, a peculiar people. People saw this, and they turned to Jesus. Our God is good, and we're called to be good too. We can't just be invisible out there acting like everybody else. We are called to be holy as our God is holy. Our God is great, and our God is good. When the angel says, holy, 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 the angels are saying, our great God and our good God. The word holy means these two things, greatness, goodness, unique among all things, our God. I encourage you, be still and know he is God, and if you belong to him, be holy like he is holy. We're going to end our time. I'm going to invite Jesus back to the stage. We're going to end our time with a song this, this morning. I told you there's a, there's the word awesome is really poorly used in our world. The word awesome truly means to be in awe of, to be awestruck by. We're going to sing a song about awesome, our goddess. I'll invite you to stand with us as we sing. We're going to end our time this morning by singing our God is an awesome God. power and love our God is an awesome God our God is an awesome God he reigns from heaven above power and love our God is an awesome God
an awesome God, he reigns from heaven above it with some power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Lord, we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Slow us down enough to look, to stare, to meditate. That we would see who you are and in seeing you, we would exalt you and worship you. Be silenced by you and remember because you are holy, because you are great and good, we have nothing to fear in this life. We are in your hand, mighty, secure, and safe. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.